Mind maps. I'd be lost without my mind map. I was telling Jay earlier before we started, I wished I could come up and give a message with the ease and the rambling words. He just opens his mouth and out comes words. And I was thinking, yeah, but if I had to mind map Jay's words and had to map his mind, I might run out of paper. (laughs) There is a plant that I am particularly fond of. And so I want to describe it to you. And I want to do a good job in describing and defining it to you. And if you are a scientist you'll appreciate what I have to share. This plant is in the kingdom, plantae. It is of the division magnoliophyta. It is of the class magnoliopsida. It is of the order rosalis. It is of the family rosacea. It is of the subfamily, Roseoldea. It is of the genus, Rosa. It is of the species, Rosa Gallica. So now I have shared with you the definition of this plant. How is it? Were you able to uh, appreciate it? So I brought one. And I love these things. And I love giving them to my wife. Make it grow. And so what I have conveyed in scientific terms is a rose. Now which tells us more about a rose? This scientific definition or our five senses that allow us to experience the rose. What this rose looks like. What this rose feels like. What this rose smells like. What this rose sounds like. And you know what I hear? I hear it proclaiming the glory of God. I hear it telling of secret things. What this rose tastes like. And there are roses that are edible. That have some health benefits. So in terms of a discovery, I find that as opposed to the scientific classification, there is an experiential appreciation that is more beneficial for me. Which tells us more about a prophet? The defining of one or the experiencing of one by way of his or her impact? The definition of a prophet may prove elusive, but the reality of a prophet is not. And it reminded me of a particular line in a play. Act two, scene two. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. 
Romeo and Juliet. The rose. The Greek word prophetess appears 144 times in 138 verses of the New Testament, including dialogue spoken, words coming out of Jesus' mouth. He spoke about the prophet Isaiah. He spoke about the prophet Jonah. So it is something that even Jesus spoke about. And I was a beneficiary, as you were, of what Jay and Mike had to say and share about a prophet before me. And I was thinking through and distilling down a lot of their input and words together with my own prayer and asking the the Spirit of God to help and teach and instruct me. And I came to the conclusion that the purpose of a prophet was to benefit communications between God and men regarding God's will. To benefit communications between God and mankind regarding God's will. And as for the dimension of time, that medium in which we find ourselves dwelling and living, there are those that say or would define prophecy as the foretelling of the future. God's will as it applies to future events. And others are not as particular. And they would talk about prophecy, as Mike pointed out as well, as foretelling. That if I am simply reading aloud in God's word or sharing from God's word, I am prophesying. I am foretelling. Whatever the case may be, the rose called prophet will smell just as sweet undisturbed by our wrestlings, for prophets belong to God. And he is well able to keep them just as he does his roses. And I also found myself appreciating a bit of a warning that intellectualism and the pursuit of knowledge for the purpose of grasping and having a command of facts is of limited benefit. So as we explore the five-fold ministries, may we keep in mind that it's not facts about them that work to build up the body of Christ, but like the rose, the reality of their influence. And that love is the preeminent motivation operating in each of the five ministries. Love is always the preeminent motivation. I was reminded by what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the gift of foretelling the future, I am a super prophet. And hold in my mind not only all human knowledge, but the very secrets of God. And if I also have that absolute faith which can move mountains, but have no love, I amount to nothing at all. And Jesus boiled some things down as well regarding prophecy or prophets. He was asked by a lawyer, by a scribe, in an attempt to kind of corner him, what's the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus answered him and said in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And there is a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole of the law and the prophets depends on these two commandments. The purpose of life is to learn how to love God first and our neighbor as ourselves. The Bible is full of prophecies. According to J. Barton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, there are a total of 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. 1,239 in the Old Testament, 578 in the New. And what I felt led to do, and now I feel far more comfortable, because we are in a transition time. We are transitioning from this conversation about the fivefold ministries into this wonderful thing that Jay pointed out, this time of Advent and all that it means to us. And so now I appreciate what I feel the Spirit of God put on my heart, which seems to me a bridge between the two. And what, was, what I was inclined and, and, and inspired to do or led to do was to take a look at the first prophecy. What is the first prophecy in the Bible? So I'm going to read a little bit. I'll put my rose down for now. Sheila, this is going to come back to you. I'm going to read to you from Genesis. And I'm going to set the stage a little bit, but I'll point out when we hit the first prophecy. I'm going to start at chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I remember when I read that the first time, thinking to myself, why in the world would God put in this garden, where he's going to take the man, he puts this thing that could cause so much damage. And I began to realize over time that the very essence of love requires choice. The very nature of love requires the ability to embrace or to reject. Without that freedom of choice, there is no opportunity to love. So if I drop down to verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. I am always impressed at how much we can learn about God from what we think are human, but are really divinely inspired and created relationships of family, of fatherhood, of motherhood. Who of us don't desire that our children choose to be with us, to love us, to hang with us, to enjoy us. And so God gives the man a choice. And he causes a sleep to come over Adam, and we're familiar with the story that out of his rib he takes a bone and he creates Eve. He creates a woman, a helpmate for him. And we find that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And I remember reading this when I was not yet a Christian. And they, uh, this particular individual was sharing with me And I said, stop right here, because I ain't never seen an animal talk. You know, you're going to have to explain this to me. It's a great story, but I've never seen an animal talk. And at some point in time in the future, we don't have time now, I'll take you to where that answer was, and it it was very, very helpful to me. But suffice it to say that the same devil that had the opportunity, the demons that were, that Jesus sent into the, to the herd of pigs, and how they inhabited the pigs, the swine, and took them over the cliff. Well, the enemy of our soul has that same ability to inhabit and speak to this woman and challenge the things of God within the form of this serpent. And for all I know, I'm thinking to myself, well, that could be so, but why is she talking to an animal? Doesn't that freak her out? Uh, For all I know, I mean, this is the first woman on the face of the planet. Maybe she doesn't know. Maybe she's as innocent as can be. Uh, Same with Adam. Or maybe, like C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia, maybe we had some animals that talked at the time, and it was no big deal. And the fall shut a bunch of them up. I don't know. But somehow, there's this challenge that's coming out. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I've read that a hundred times. 
And yet this time, one thing struck me. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And I wondered, what does it sound like to hear God walking in a garden? And all that could come to mind from my imagination was to fast forward in time and to think about Jesus in Gethsemane where God was again heard in a garden. Heard with cries that lifted up to His Father looking for an alternate way to let that cup pass from Him and yet ending by saying, not my will, but yours be done. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And of course, God knew exactly where he was, but our God is relational. He is conversational. He calls out the same as he's called out to every single human being since. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And Adam replies, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And of course, God knows exactly what went down. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Between Adam and his wife, they come up with the three excuses that are so common to us. Adam sits there and says, in an innuendo kind of fashion, if you remember, Lord God, you put me in a deep sleep, and you took this rib and you fashioned a woman I didn't ask you for. It's your fault. The circumstances, you arranged the circumstances of my life in such a way as to you carry the blame for what I have done. And if you don't buy that, I've got a backup excuse. It's the woman's fault. If you don't buy it's yours, it's hers. And Eve lets go with the third excuse we offer. The devil made me do it. So it's either God's fault, it's our friend's fault, it's the circumstances of how we were born in life's fault, or the devil made us do it. But up to this point, nobody raises their hand and says, you know what, I chose. I chose. I may have been deceived, but I chose. And in verse 14, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And now in verse 15, we hit the first prophecy. And I will put enmity, hatred, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Some very good news in the midst of this terrible disaster. Satan, there's coming a time in the future that from the seed of a woman, without the need of the seed of a man. Somewhere in the future is going to come a woman who is going to have an offspring without the help of a human father. 
that's going to do battle with you, Satan, you will bruise his heel. And certainly being hung on a Roman cross and crucified is one whale of a, of a heel bruising. But he will crush. The Hebrew word translated bruise in the NASB can also be translated crush. He will crush your head. He will crush your head. The first prophecy is good news about someone who is coming in the future to do battle with what Satan has done. It is a prophecy of the first advent. In Isaiah, I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 7. The prophecy is going to gain a little bit more clarity. There is a conversation I'm going to pick up in verse 10 and go through 14. A conversation between the prophet Isaiah and Ahaz with the Lord piping up through Isaiah. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as shoal or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, that's Isaiah, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Oftentimes in the Bible, prophecies are given in a reiterative fashion with greater clarity over time. The focus, starting broad, becomes more narrow, more sharply defined. And if we swing over to Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2, there's more clarity given. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor is at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I looked at those names with amazement. This child, this son, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And the first thing that went through my mind, I said, Wonderful Counselor, man, that sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. Sounds like the Holy Spirit. 
mighty God, eternal Father? How is this Son called eternal Father? Prince of Peace. And it brought to my mind a verse in Colossians, verse 9 of chapter 2, For in Him, for in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So in this Jesus, we have a revealing of our Father. We have a revealing of the Godhead in all its fullness and bodily form. So these names that include eternal Father can be found in the reflection of the person of Jesus Christ. And so the prophecy gains sharpness in Isaiah. And finally, we'll read just a little bit more as this prophecy becomes even more clear, more sharp, more real. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? I have no seed of a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. The very first prophecy that there would be someone who would come born of a woman without the help of a human father, who would take a heel bruising for the purpose of crushing the head of the deceiver and the father of lies. And I'll close with Paul's words that he spoke in Romans 16:20 and the grace in the I'm sorry in the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet the grace of our lord jesus be with you father i thank you for your word i thank you for helping us not only to take a look at some facts about prophets 
and prophecy and prophesying. And this gift that you have given for the building up of your body. But for the influence of prophets. For the influence of prophecy. Help us to simply enjoy and experience all that you have for us within the various gifts and ministries that you give as good gifts to all of us. May we recognize all that is true and good and best. Thank you for that good news found just a moment after the terrible fall of our ancestors and how you as Father in all of your names that we've read in Isaiah Eternal Father Prince of Peace Mighty God Wonderful Counselor there is not eternal everlasting judge though your judgments are good and perfect you are Father you are Father working to restore what was broken and bring us to the place where we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. To the glory of your name. Amen.